Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most second work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Collateral 4.11. And it starts with this quote, Elliot. Congratulations, Blake Thorburn. You've successfully referred to two or three million years. You're an ape in a tree hiding from the scary thing. <laughs> Just a fun, a fun opening line. <laughs> yeah, it sort of puts you in Blake's mood, which is... Uh, like I'm just what I'm, am I'm I fucked. Doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I mean to be fair, if I was being chased by ghosts and a giant wolf goblin thing, uh, I, I'd consider being stuck up in a tree a fairly good result. Like, like all things considered, uh, you could be yeah. doing a lot worse. Uh, well, he could it, be it, doing worse, but yeah, you know, he's on a clock. It gets me thinking. Like, I wonder what what prehistoric packed world was like. Like, I think we've had hints mm. that. You know, 10,000 years ago, back when humans were still in the Stone Age, they were sort of others play things. But what was the situation like 65 million years ago? Like, what, what did dinosaurs have to contend with, you know? I don't yeah, I don't know if the book's going to go there, but, uh, you know, f- food <laughs> oh, for you, thought. You underestimate it. It spends a large <laughs> portion in, in, you know, the Jurassic period. Yeah. Uh, no, arc, um... arc 12, Creatius. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's an interesting thought because you do get the sense that a lot of others are born from like warped humanity and, and stuff that's really, you know, it takes time to cook. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Were there cavemen? Others? Yeah. Before there were, maybe before there were properly sentient beings, there wasn't mm. like spirit, like, you know, may, maybe all these sorts of, all these things seem to come from like, you know, the, we've got incarnations of concepts and, and yeah. stuff like that. Like, did they not really exist well I, i'd say the incarnations it's fairly likely they didn't exist but i wonder how much that applies yeah. to other spirits like you know were goblins fighting I dinosaurs like, i don't know there did are the like goblins look different and, there are angels and demons right so presumably yeah. they are the kind of you know the the, the founding fathers for others <laughs> right maybe they like spawn stuff over time and so it was like weak demons at the time just kind of building up power by hunting dinosaurs or whatever <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. It's just, it's something fun to picture. Yep. Anyway, so <laughs> Blake's stuck up a tree and uh, under this tree is uh, the leg pain ghost who he refers to as Mr. Legs, which is great. Um, and Blake's basically stuck trying to figure out a way to get rid of Mr. Legs so that he can run away without having his legs being, I don't know, attacked by Mr. Yeah. Legs. Yeah. Um, I love Mr. Legs. The name is great, but also just... Um, this arc, there've been a lot of like really tricky things, you know, Pose was like tricky and, and all this stuff. Um, we've, we've had some run-ins with Isadora and with, the with the, uh, the harem, Jeremy's harem, and they're all like sentient and tricky. This is just a ghost who is very like straightforward. Yeah. Um, and it's complemented really well by this other big, like ogre-ish thing Mm. that's just smacking everything. Like, you know, you've got the ghost incapacitating everything and then you got this ogre running around just bashing stuff. Uh, (laughs) and, and I think even, uh, like the ogre tries to bash the ghost at one point and it doesn't work, uh, which just sort of sets it up as mindlessly aggressive. Mm. Yeah, uh, so Blake is kind of stuck, stumped, trying to figure out what to do, uh, and he eventually has the idea to manipulate the glamour that he's got on him to kind of make his voice, like, bounce around and echo, uh, so he kind of makes some noises and they echo off further away, and this distracts the big ogre, 
um, kind of giving Blake the opportunity to talk to Mr. Legs without drawing this big ogre over to him. Yeah, I mean, so the the idea seems to be if his voice is bouncing around, the this blind thing can't actually figure out where he is. Yeah, uh, and, it and it seems to work pretty well until, you know, his his louder voice bouncing around draws the attention of more and more others that kind of give him another ticking clock. Yeah, it's definitely a plan to get yourself out of the frying pan uh, and, and put yourself square <laughs> in the middle of the fire. Uh, yeah. So... So my understanding of this, and and I think we had a bit of a discussion because I was trying to clear this up. So he scrapes the glamour off of other parts of his body and and then uses that mm. to distort his voice? Yeah. Because one of the things he mentions is, it, like, as he's doing that under the glamour, like, the glamour sort of gets thinner and he's seeing, like, I think he <laughs> describes it as, like, brassy uh, lines and uh, and there's, like, deeper shadows, which I guess is, mm. like all of his injuries that he was hiding with the mm. glamour uh, yeah. pe- peering through a little bit. So, you know, there, there's no symbolic imagery there. Uh, <laughs> that's that's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, so, yeah, it's a little bit... It's worded in a way where you don't really quite know what he's done. I mean, like, I definitely didn't quite get it on the first read-through. Um, but then you just kind of see his voice echoing around, and you're like, oh, I guess that's a thing that he can do with glamour too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I got a bit confused because he complains that, like, his landing and his footsteps make too much noise when he gets out of the tree, and so I thought maybe yep. he'd turned himself into some sort of echo robot. Like, I was taking the word <laughs> brassy quite literally and thought maybe oh, he'd yes, made himself metal. literally. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, it I, just I kind of amplifies his body's ability to make sound, I guess. Yeah, while covered in quiet runes. So he's, he's, really, oh. he's really using his power efficiently uh, right now. But, uh, Maybe I, I he lo- actually just kind of covers up the quiet runes. I don't know. It's kind of hard to to tell. Yeah, I, but I love how like more abstract the glamour is getting. Like he's he's using yeah. it more symbolically. Like we we saw that with the Thorburn voice a few chapters ago, and now he's just using it to like make himself have a voice that echoes, which is not like a real thing. Like it's just <laughs> he just rubs it on his <laughs> neck, I guess, and he's like, do echoes. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for Rose to come back and, and crush this superpower Blake is developing uh, with glamour. The superpower of misusing glamour and somehow it works. Well, yeah. I, I think this this sort of escalation makes sense because glamour is belief fueled, And so as mm. Blake keeps getting away with more bullshit, he's going to have even more faith in it and, and it's going to get more powerful. Uh, so he's he's sort of stuck in this feedback loop, which is ideal yeah no it's it's very helpful for him um yeah so he kind of uses this echo voice to talk to, uh to kind of get get through to mr legs um he kind of tries to get him to advance along his uh stone tape script and eventually gets him to disappear uh, presumably jumping back to the site of the car crash that created him yeah it's actually very reminiscent i i think of what he did with june uh in 4.8 uh, as he was yep. escaping uh, Craig Doubt's house. Yeah. Totally. And then, of course... He, he, he's, like, talking... Yeah, kind of, like, playing the other side of the script to get them to keep thinking about, okay, what happens next? What happens next? Yeah, well, and to steer them to the part of the script that he wants them to be at. Yeah. Uh, and he also gets to experience what it's like to have your legs basically pulled apart um, in the yeah, process. The- <laughs> so that's We fun. get a lot of graphic descriptions of uh, terrible things happening to Mr. Legs and also Blake kind of feeling them, right? Like bones jutting out through his leg and blood kind of dripping down everywhere. And these uh, these leg pains get worse and worse until Mr. Leg just kind of pops and off he goes. 
Yeah. I mean, thank goodness he was in the tree and he had something to hug with his arms because, mm. oh. Yeah. Um, as he's uh, feeling these leg pains, there's a quote that I really like where Blake thinks, I could hear a growling echoing around the area. The hyena. No. When I managed to heave in a breath, gasping for air like I was drowning, I heard that same sound echoed. The noise had been my, no- the noise had been my own. I love that Blake's uh, noises of pain as his legs are being tortured <laughs> echo and basically end up sounding like a hyena. Yeah. Hyena. I mean, yeah. I'm, or what he assumes the hyena would sound like at this point. But well, yeah, yeah, it's... Sure. um. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty grisly. Like, that, that's sort of... He's so detached from the experience because it's so painful that he's not even processing the noises he's making. It's intense. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. I, there's also this bit... So, as he's sort of getting down and out of the tree, Blake keeps hitting this, this sort of drum about the pain and, and the effects of it not being real. And, and that's, that's a sensible sort of thing to take. Like, when he's talking about feeling like bones are sticking out of his knee... I think it's an important distinction to know that bones aren't actually sticking out of his knee. <laughs> yeah, sure. But then he keeps talking about the adrenaline um, and how it's like fake adrenaline and and isn't real. And, and I'm mm. like, is there a difference? Like when we're talking about a completely internal and like physiological uh, result, like it still seems like he, you know, he has the same effects on his mind and body as real adrenaline would have. I. I don't really understand why this distinction is so important to him. Yeah, and surely. The, uh, like, even if there is some fake adrenaline in there too, having his legs be in the pain <laughs> as they would be in if he was in a car crash, like, surely that would cause some kind of real adrenaline rush too. I don't know. Also, Unless, just his like, situation. So stuff like this. Yeah, just his situation. Like, forget Mr. Legs. Being caught up yeah. in a tree with a giant wolf goblin coming after you, you should have a lot of adrenaline in your body. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, yeah. I- yeah. I suppose maybe it's like an uh, an additive effect, like he had, you know, double the, the possible amount of adrenaline or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. A little booster, yeah. Um, so he's gotten rid of Mr. Legs, and Blake kind of uses the opportunity that that gives him to jump down and, and run away, basically, before too many others converge <laughs> on him. Um, he eventually kind of finds his way to a stream and finds the hooded boy is there again. Yeah, and so again, this boy is clearly a thing. <laughs> yeah, just in case you didn't you didn't know that by this point in the story, I think it's fairly fairly obvious. Who do you think this boy is, Elliot? I mean, I I just genuinely think he's some rando boy who who got lost. I believe his story that we get later in the chapter. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is where we find out that Blake's uh, glamouring has caused him to echo basically all kinds of movements around, and he kind of quickly. <laughs> Uh, undoes that so that he can kind of stealth around a bit more. Yeah, and and again, he uses the uh, glamour, like he reapplies it in an even more abstract way. He just uses this concept of insulation mm. to insulate, yeah. like, heat, sound, Heat, light. sound, anything, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just even more abstract. It, it's it's even more powerful and it's great. And, you know, we, we sort of see it working on on at least uh evan uh later in the mm. chapter mm. yeah i i just he's really pushing the uh the envelope with what glamour can be used for here and i it doesn't it just builds this sense of dread in me knowing that he's he's continually escalating <laughs> what he uses his glamour for yeah um, well and there's a bit soon uh where he you know he hits he, he sort of injures himself trying to cross the river and, and like smashes into a rock Mm. And as he's sort of describing the injuries, I'm just picturing because 
like under those injuries is the glamour and under the glamour is like all of his other even more serious injuries and he's just <laughs> he's gonna have to like he's gonna hit a breaking point very soon he's gonna have to find some way of healing this stuff which is either gonna be time or like some he's gonna have to find some other who can heal him and there'll probably be a price associated with that <laughs> no surely not <laughs> um Something I really like about this chapter, as Blake is just kind of running around in the woods, is we see all these different ghosts, um, mm. and they're all—they're all kind of—they all clearly have their own unique stories behind them. To the extent that I think Wabo probably actually has, oh, this ghost came from this event, and this is what their whole deal is, and this ghost came from this. It's very much like just piles of tragedies all all stacking up in these woods, all being kind of messed up by the hyena. Yeah, I mean, like, the standout one for me was the ghost that was just sitting by the side of the river, like, constantly shitting an endless stream of diarrhea yep. and blood. Uh, and, and Blake <sighs> just thinks, oh, man, this this guy wasn't even having a good day before the hyena showed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder what would happen if Blake bound that ghost. What would what powers would it give him? <laughs> Maybe let's not think about that too much. Yeah, don't, don't put that one in a bottle. Uh, leave the bottle still in it, I think. I just wanted to pull out a quote as well that Blake thinks as he's sort of strolling through these woods. Uh, so he's, he thinks to himself, Alexis had once given me a hand to help me come up from the lowest part in my, uh, the lowest point in my life or the lowest point before I inherited the house in any event. Uh, <laughs> even if the, even if his, yeah, even if this was a ghost, a psychic echo, I felt like it deserved the same. Mm. And I mean, this is like a, a sort of big insight into, you know, why Blake is always doing things like treating June with so much respect and everything. Like when he sees things that are completely broken and miserable, like he's sort of seeing himself uh, as he yeah. was at his lowest and he just wants to help them. And, and you know, like for lack of a, a better term, pass on the good karma uh, <laughs> that, that are, you know, a different concept of karma, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and it's sort of a, a him describing exactly why he treats everything this way. Yeah, I think the the concept of him wanting to help people out who have been in a situation like his, or even kind of help people avoid a situation like his, is is something that's very core to Blake's character, right? Um, mm. His his leaving the note for his family members is because he doesn't want them to have to go through the same shit he's going through. There's all these beats of him basically. <laughs> living a terrible life and and trying to shield other people from it um yeah or help those who are already in it yeah exactly i yeah it, it i like him he's a good dude you know yeah yeah <laughs> um, as so, as we've sort of said and as rose has said his heart always seems to be in the right place yeah uh so the hooded boy kind of whispers some more cryptic hints at blake before saying wade in the water and then kind of splashing off down the stream <laughs> i mean they're not that cryptic uh, like, I guess I was reading this from the comfort of my home, but the kid basically says, uh, people use songs to pass secret information and then just literally sings wait in the water. Uh, yeah. and when Blake still doesn't respond, he literally play, like shows multiple replays of him crossing the river. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really the only reason to hesitate is to figure out whether or not you trust the kid, not, not whether or not you figured out his yeah. clue. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't subtle. I don't think. <laughs> Um, I like I like that Blake doesn't trust him for a moment. He he kind of thinks, wait, are you the hyena? And and the the boy says something like, 
wolf, the wolf. <laughs> and Blake's like, uh But then uh, almost immediately Blake sees the hyena and it's actually genuinely like a, a big beast thing. It's not a little boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think cause I actually I sort of had the same thought just before Blake brought it up. I was like, is this boy secretly the hyena or the one controlling the hyena? And uh, like, I think Blake and I were both just trying to be too trope savvy uh, and, <laughs> and clever. Uh, it's Too just, clever for your own good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, the hyena is just a giant scary monster, like everyone said it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Blake turns around and notices the hyena has has basically snuck up on him and is right near him. Um, and kind of taking the hooded boy's advice, he he solves the riddle and he kind of cuts <laughs> through the water, crossing across the rocks, and and sees the hyena uh, unwilling or unable to to follow him. Yeah, and so obviously we get this big long description of what the hyena looks like, and it's your standard like horrifying, uh, mm-hmm. disgusting mm-hmm. type stuff. Uh, but I really like this one detail Blake brings up, where it's like the claws aren't sharp; they're they're all like yeah. serrated, and it's uh, like Blake says, you know, they wouldn't cut him like a scalpel; they'd tear him up like a broken bottle, which is worse. And he says like, Yay. "Oh, that's worse," and I'm like, "Yeah, that does sound worse. <laughs> that, that's terrifying." Yeah, yeah I. I- yeah, I, I like how even in simple descriptions like this, it kind of defies what you would kind of expect of these demonic creatures. Um, mm, yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't have sharp claws, actually, because that's it would be better if it had sharp claws. It has jagged, <laughs> fucked up claws. Good luck. Um, yeah, so Blake kind of is, is trying to figure out what his strategy here should be and, and realises that this hooded boy has given him basically a lot of good, helpful advice and kind of seeks him out to to help with uh, navigating around and taking down the hyena. Yeah, which, I mean, uh, like, I don't know what else you're going to do. This seems like a really good call. Uh, it's the only thing around that isn't injured. Uh, yeah. you got you got to figure out what his strats are because uh, they're clearly better <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, I like how Blake thinks, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the advice of this of this boy, but then thinks, um, I'll, I'll follow the boy after a fashion, take his advice on paths and on that escape route. Problem was, well... He died. His advice wasn't perfect or he'd be alive. Like, <laughs> it's a good point of like, oh, yeah, he is a ghost. Maybe don't follow his advice too much. Yeah, it, it's definitely... He seems to have done the best, but he does not seem to have done well enough. Uh, so, it's, mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that Blake realises at this point is that all the ghosts in the area are, are more or less beacons for the hyena. He likens them to being kind of bells on strings that whenever you cross them, they, they kind of notify the hyena of where you are. Um, and he, he sees this area as just a big uh, domain, kind of, that, that any interaction with the others into it feeds info right back to the hyena. Yeah, well, I, and because there's all this detail on how, like, all of the spirits are sort of broken or, or gone, like, and that's why yep. the hyena was able to sneak up on him without making any noise, because yeah, apparently noise is an effect of spirits, and they're just, there aren't any around, so I think he, he sort of describes how it's almost like there's like this black hole around the hyena, and everything in the area is sort of always, their connections mm. are always swaying just towards it. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Um, yeah, there's a quote that I really like, uh, when, when Blake kind of realises about the sounds, he thinks, All spirits fled from him because there was no denying what he was and what he did to others and mortals both. Thus, the rules of the world were bent. He made no sound because there were no spirits to be found. Um, which is great. It, it's like his the, the savagery of this hyena is so powerful that it extends beyond just others and mortals. I mean, you know, it extends beyond mortals to him eating others. 
and now we find out, oh, it extends beyond that to him fucking with spirits too. Yeah, um, it, it actually reminded me of the conversation Blake had with the Briar Girl where he threatened to remove every spirit from the forest uh, <laughs> before, like, Rose and the Briar Girl, like, you can't do that. And now we're seeing the hyena, and it's like, maybe actually he could. Like, if he found the hyena, he could take it up to the forest and, and you know, give it 50 years or whatever to scare mm. everything off. Uh, I, I don't think he... I'm not saying he should do that, but he could. <laughs> yeah, I think he might make a few enemies doing that. Um, <laughs> so something else I like about this is it's it's another example of what we've been getting a lot this chapter of of showing us how much the rules can be bent or broken when you have absolute control over an area, right? Um, mm. We've seen a lot of this this arc. We've seen Conquest uh, really messing with stuff in his domain, for the want of a better word. Same with Pohu's and now the Hyena, all kind of changing what we thought of as, like, immutable laws about the world. Um yeah, I, yeah I, had, I hadn't noticed that pattern, but that's a really good point. Like, up until now, we, we'd sort of seen in, in some of the interludes and stuff and, and uh, in terms of Johanna's, like, talk of domains, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it was always sort of in the context of what humans can do in them, and, and here we're seeing a lot of really powerful others and how they just affect, yeah, the area around them to the point where they enact or they bend the rules in a way that people can do in domains, and... This might mm. be sort of priming us for the sorts of things Blake will be able to do if he eventually locks down a domain, uh, mm. aside from just letting Rose get get out of the mirrors for a bit. Um, yeah, or I yeah. suppose we saw that in Conquest's we saw that domain. In, yeah, exactly, in Conquest's area. Um, yeah, I think I think this is kind of setting those thoughts up um, for us and for Blake. Like, shit, if you get a domain and you kind of feed it enough, I guess, yeah. um, who knows what you can do with it. Yeah, like we've seen how powerful these things are in their own territory, and you just think like you yeah. you got to get yourself some of that. Yeah. Um, so Blake uh, eventually finds the hooded boy who confesses his name is Evan and uh, gets him to show him some more of his tricks. Um, Evan kind of leads him to a fence that he uses to kind of stop the hyena in its tracks, uh, and Blake kind of investigates the fence and finds that there's a hedge growing along it that is uh, holly bushes, which seems to, I guess, stop the hyena. Yeah, uh, I love this because, you know, we've had it set up uh, that goblins are stopped by, like, manufactured and artificial things. And mm. when the stream first stops uh, the hyena, you know, Blake's sort of like, oh, that's a bit weird. Like, I guess labels are yeah. dangerous. And then you see this fence, and, and even still my immediate thought was, oh, the plastic, like, it's acting mm. like it's artificial. And then, No, it's not that. It's, like, surrounded by holly and... And so, you know, the hyena is such a twisted goblin that the rules have changed for it as well. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, that kind of makes sense. Like, we're seeing something that totally disrupts, like, the nature of the place around it. So things that are very natural uh, fuck with it. Like, it, it kind of makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I, I like how this is a, basically the opposite of what a normal goblin would be stopped by. Um, yeah, but it it just kind of makes sense because this goblin is different. It it has different things. It operates in a different way. It it, it disrupts nature, so things that are natural would be its its enemy. Yeah. Um. So as they kind of are walking, uh, Blake is kind of interviewing Evan a bit. Um. He's very adorable. He he died uh quite recently, less than a year ago, back in twenty thirteen. Um. Which uh, Blake seems to think explains why he's he's so much more lucid than any other ghosts he's encountered yeah i mean there's tons of hints that there's something more going on uh than, than just that but uh 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, Evan's story is pretty tragic. He accidentally wandered into these woods chasing something, and so he decided to do, you know, what the right, right, the right thing is, like what kids are told to do, which is stay put and wait for help. Uh, unfortunately, he was waiting in a place that nobody else is ever going to come to. Yep. Um, and so <sighs> it's a little unclear how, how long he may have survived. Like, uh, you know, was it a day mm. or a week or... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I also like this bit where Blake sort of is like, don't worry, help's here now. And Evan's like, yeah, but you're not real. And <laughs> it's it's like because Blake has sort of insulated himself and also tried to touch Evan and couldn't. So, like, Evan must think he's the ghost, which is just a yep. hilar- hilarious little detail that I like. Well, I mean, Evan does see presumably other ghosts around. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a point here where it still doesn't quite add up. And Blake is... You know, Evan is is quite lucid now, but Blake is uncertain why he was so much less lucid uh, back at the river. Um, I'm curious whether you have any thoughts about this, Elliot. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. I, I, I definitely think there's a lot more going on with Evan than him just being a recent ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did think, you know, I sort of talked about how I feel like Rose is maybe in her coma because Blake is drawing energy from her rather than the other way around. And mm. I noticed that the change that happened with Evan was after Blake formed that connection with him, like to w- where he found him. So maybe Evan's drawing power from Blake somehow. Um, I, I, I don't know about that. Um, especially, I don't know what the situation was is with the Poe's radiation and where that's at. Um, mm. I hope it's almost over because then we'll get Rose back. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I we'll guess see. my other thought was he, he maybe seemed the most lucid when they were nearest to where he died. Uh, so maybe it's like proximity to where he died or the, or his corpse even uh, that uh, affects that somehow. Or, or maybe it's something to do with like the hyena has messed up everything so much except for Evan a little bit. So maybe mm. Evan's getting some weird boost because he's uninjured in this area. Mm. Mm. I don't know. It, it, it's probably it's probably none of those. I'm not super confident in any of those. I feel like it's going to be something <laughs> completely left field. Those are just some, some spitballing ideas. We'll see. Uh, so Evan and Blake are kind of checking out the fence when suddenly Evan freaks out and tells Blake to run and, uh, <laughs> oh shit, the hyena's here. Um, so Blake kind of dives over the fence and the hyena charges, but is stopped by the holly bushes and Oof. Blake fires his shotgun that was hidden under the hedge, uh, which shoots bullets and holly right into the hyena's face and really doing some, some good damage. It scares off the hyena and Evan is, uh, quite impressed. Yeah, I, I do love the, the sort of look Evan gives him uh, after this. It's great. <laughs> it's a smart yeah, plan, um, too, shooting it shooting it through the holly bush to get the holly scraps uh, on the bullets. It's, mm, it's clever. Yeah, yeah, it's a top plan. Um, and now Blake kind of realises there's a problem. Uh, he thinks if it could talk, I imagine it would have just now. But it didn't, which posed problems. Everything I'd bound thus far, I'd negotiated with. How the fuck was I able to bind this thing? It was a big, nasty, cunning animal, beast in every respect that a beast was a problem for me, and it wasn't stupid. (laughs) How do you uh, negotiate with a beast? Yeah, well, exactly. Up until now, he's been able to, like, appeal to everything, negotiate with them, you know, reason with them, uh, figure out what they want, uh, and that's just not on the cards here. He's... He's basically going to have to bind it with force, and it's not something that you want to have to bind with force. Uh, mm. It's it's big and scary. Yeah. And Blake is not the kind of practitioner that wants to bind things with force either. I don't <laughs> no. think. Um, um, I, I so. also like. Sorry. Uh, yeah. And then just just after he sort of figures that out, he's sort of like, 
Hmm. I'm going to have to embrace the fact that like it's it's angry at me now. Uh, and so he wants to use the anger. And so he says, your move, little goblin, which, you know, sets it off even more. Uh, and I just can't help but think, you know, this is a classic stealth strategy from <laughs> stealthy man, Blake. Yeah. Uh, Shoot it with a shotgun. The old <laughs> stealth strategy. <laughs> I, I, I think he does explicitly say that stealth is off the table at this point. But uh, I, I yeah. do love how, yeah, like, as soon as stealth is, is out, he just goes uh, like 100% into not stealth. <laughs> Almost like stealth isn't really his main <laughs> method of operation, and for some reason he just thinks I mean, it doesn't it seem to be his most successful so far. Yeah. Um, so uh, the hyena roars as it runs off, and uh, Blake su- uh, assumes that this is it calling out to summon all of its uh, all of its tethered others. It runs off, and Blake pursues it, and <laughs> that's the end of the chapter. It's a it's a great kind of badass ending moment. Yeah, well, Evan's like, Blake's like, oh, it's good. It's not, it's not running too far away. And Evan's like, is, isn't that bad? And he's like, no, not when we're trying to hunt it. And <laughs> yeah, I was just sort of like, oh, so I guess the hunter has become the hunted, apparently. Um, <laughs> well, yep. I mean, he's got to get it. He's got to catch it and bind it. So you know. Yeah, it does have it to happen. Um, so that's the end of our discussion about Collateral Four Point Eleven. Um, but true to our word, we're now going to go and, and revisit our discussion question that we've uh, had over the past two uh, chapters. The question being, if you became a practitioner, how would you handle your muggle relationships? And we got a lot of, uh, of, of very interesting comments on this. I actually, <laughs> so when I answered this question two chapters ago, I, I was very much on, on the team of, oh yeah, I'll bring my friends and family in for sure. But basically everybody else said, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the majority of responses seem to be no, I couldn't possibly do that to anyone. Um it's too awful, which, you know, I guess yeah. from, if we're talking Blake level practicing is is very fair. Yeah, I I I I think there are risks associated with it. I don't know. Like I I don't think every practitioner is on the Blake level of of bad <laughs> practitioners. Like surely they can't all be this. It can't be this terrible for everybody. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is. Like, you know, there's the appeal for power, and that just manages to sucker everyone in. Uh, mm. Could be, uh, mm. but yeah, I mean, a lot of these responses really brought up uh, for me uh, this concept of like ignorance as as an asset in the world of Pact, uh, as mm. as Fell was talking about like two chapters ago, I think. Uh, yeah, and and that's actually been a bit of a thing that's been hammered into us a lot these last few chapters. Um, which is why the discussion question probably came up and why it, why it made me think of this. Um, we're seeing that less is more sometimes when it comes to information, uh, which I find mm. particularly interesting as Blake is about to, once he's done with a hyena, um, assuming he lives that long, uh, he's about to go and tackle an, a demon that you can't know anything about because it erases <laughs> information. Uh, so I, I hope ignorance is, is a good thing uh, in that situation because he's got yeah. lots of it. Yeah, we'll see, I suppose. Um yeah, we should call out some some specific responses. I, I had one that I really liked uh, from a user called So High Seven. Um, <laughs> I think that's about and, as good as the pronunciation's some... gonna get from that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're known for good pronunciation on this on this podcast, <laughs> um, So yeah, this was something that I didn't really think of, but um, they brought up that that uh, Blake uses his friends as a way to reveal himself, like on a on a 
you know, on a personal level. Um, and the only reason that works is because they don't know about the practice. And, and so I think this is a really good point where if Blake or any practitioner were to introduce their friends and family to the practice, that would take away a kind of safe part of your life, a part of your life where you can go to not worry about these things. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, um, like, the whole Clark Kent thing with Superman, right? Like, it's his... Mm. Or, you know, Clark Kent is his way of keeping his humanity and, and staying attached to people in the world. And, and I think that's sort of what this user, I'm not going to try to pronounce that username, uh, is is saying here. <laughs> uh, it's important to have people outside the practice to keep you anchored. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. It's, it's probably one of the biggest reasons to not bring in your friends and family that I hadn't uh, considered at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I liked this response we got from Megafire7, uh, who who says that they'd want to bring in at least one other person because they don't trust themselves enough to be careful with their words, so they want someone else to <laughs> like keep an eye on them or, or maybe handle that stuff, which I can definitely relate to. I uh, definitely suffer from a bit of foot in mouth uh, every now and then, so mm. uh, I, I totally get that. Uh, it actually made me think, you know, a good option for a familiar might be a language spirit i don't know what a language spirit looks like but that seems like it'd be a really handy thing to have as a practitioner unless you're you're you know constant stepping in your own mouth kind of pissed it off so much that it it, it wouldn't be a good partner um yeah i think actually it's you know being in a kind of blake slash rose situation obviously it has its uh has its complications but the ability to have a, a constant like man or woman in the chair helping you out would be pretty useful in in a in a situation where any wrong step fucks you over so badly. Yeah, and I have to imagine that's why most people get familiars like you know sort of yeah. a, a, as soon as they can, like because that's probably what a familiar does in most places. Yeah. I wonder, like, like it's going to be interesting if if Blake does get a familiar and and roses come back because it, it's going to be like this weird sort of three-way dynamic of of uh blake being in the middle but having a very close relationship with two others it's gonna uh, be uh you know blake and rose are on the opposite sides all the time and the familiar gets to cast the deciding vote yeah tiebreaker um, um well, yeah. would, uh, I, maybe he should get a familiar while she's still out of action that'd be really funny if she came back and blake's just signed up for a familiar for life that she's now also tied to she didn't get a say in uh i'm sure she'd love that I that feels like surely Blake wouldn't fail to consider Rose that much, right? <laughs> no, I, I I don't think he would, but uh, mm. you, you never know. Maybe maybe some emergency will come up. We'll see. Uh, so I, I like this response from Juan Sison. Uh, that's how you pronounce that. Um, <laughs> basically, saying that they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't want to bring their their muggle relationships in as practitioners because they don't trust anybody in their life not to fuck up to get negative karma for them, including themselves. Um, <laughs> and I, I yeah, I, I get that, but I do think this is a bit harsh. I think Blake probably is in one of the worst ways to to kind of become a practitioner, um, and hopefully it's possible to get into the practice without it being so high stakes all the time. Well, yeah, I guess it depends how careful you are. You've got to trust yourself to... Sorry, you got to trust yourself and your friends to get into it carefully. Yeah. Um, Juanson does point out, though, that uh, there would be a good reason to get people into being practitioners, which is if there are big problems that are kind of outside the scope of, of muggle problems. Um, so, you know, most problems that people face day to day are small problems and are solvable within the confines of being a human. But, 
you know, if you have a, a really bad disease or an accident that can't be dealt with by modern medicine, maybe this is a the, the only valid time to bring someone into the practice so that these things can actually be resolved. Yeah, I, I like that idea of, of doing it on a needs-based sort of thing, uh, you know, because all this stuff has cost, including just entering the world, but sometimes that cost might well, at least seem to be worth it. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I guess you have to decide on a case-by-case <laughs> basis if it's worth it to you. Uh, I also liked this one comment from uh, Lude Calamari, uh, who talks about they, they wouldn't tell anyone, and in fact what they do is pretend to have had a religious or spiritual <laughs> awakening to explain <laughs> it all. Like, oh, I have, like, you know, some sort of uh, prayer group, and, and they're decorating yeah. their place with holly and stuff, and it's like, oh, it's part of my new wacky religion. Like, just pretend you've joined some weird cult. Uh, well, that's which... basically what Blake does by yeah. having his artists, like, paint... <laughs> sigils on his walls like oh it's just a design choice i'm into now <laughs> uh yeah but i i like that as an idea just pretend you've joined some weird cult and, and everyone will think that it's a normal type of weird that's a practical tip for the practice right there from lude calamari <laughs> um here's another practical practical practitioner tip from uh, sandwich they brought up um having you know keep your muggle relationships as muggles because then they can lie to cover you in some cases um so if something <laughs> you know you get in trouble you you need a muggle to lie for you bring them in and they'll be able to you know mess around yeah i wonder if maggie does this with her dads because uh her dads are the only characters i can think of that we know of who are aware of magic but haven't like awakened or anything yeah, uh, I, I like this idea for a loophole is just be honest with the dads or, or whoever and, and get them to lie for you. So uh, thanks, everyone, for, for sending in your responses uh, to the discussion question. There were a lot of really interesting ideas and, and things that we didn't yeah, consider we, when thinking about. Yeah. We sort of ran out of time to go over all of them. But uh, yeah, I there were a lot of people who came at this from angles I hadn't considered. It was great. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, the reason we brought up this question is because I was thinking, should I bring in my muggle friends into becoming practitioners now that I'm a practitioner? And uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, 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 never mind. Um, but that's the end of our show for this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you'd like to... Uh, check out uh, our discussion threads and leave comments on um, on this chapter or maybe you had an answer to this question that you didn't get a chance to write down uh, check out our discussion threads they'll be linked in the episode description down below that's right and if you want to get up-to-date news on all the deep impact episodes as well as the episodes of all the other great shows on the doof network head to doofmedia.com yes um while you're on doofmedia.com you'll be able to find a link to our patreon uh, that's patreon.com slash doofmedia uh and if you'd like to participate in some really cool things that are happening including uh being a part of the doof community the doof discord and joining in some uh doof social game playing sessions and all kinds of cool things that are happening uh check out that patreon and maybe throw us a few dollars every month we would very much appreciate it yeah it's a great it's a great community uh in in the discord it's it's a lot of fun uh, yeah. and, and while we're talking about Patreon, don't forget to stop by Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, because uh, he's writing great stories and we want more. Yep. Um, one thing you could do if you want to support the, the show, but you don't have any uh, money to throw around, that's okay. You can review us on iTunes. That would be also very helpful for bringing us to new listeners. It's like a, a low budget way of recommending Pact to your friends. Um, review us on iTunes and more people will find the show and uh, more people will, yeah, <laughs> enjoy Pact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so apart from that, uh, we'll see everyone on Wednesday. We have another bonus, uh, Wednesday episode with 4.12 and that'll be on the 3rd of April. See you then. 